Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that, like London buses, is very much nothing happens for three weeks, then you get two episodes at once. This one follows on from the uh, previous episode that Steve and I recorded with Shaz about the IPCC report. Uh, Again, it's one of those looking forward to COP26. Uh, This one is more explicitly looking ahead to the summit itself. Um, we recorded it a few weeks ago. There's been a few things in the news since then that Steve and I will pick up on next time we record in person. I hope you enjoy this one. thing we said we're going to talk about is that the worst effects can be averted so I suppose essentially that means uh, a lot of the IPCC report seems to have a sort of a four degree temperature and any of the things that it models with a four degree increase in global temperature just look completely horrific anything between one to two degrees is gavin williamson levels of incompetence and then four degrees is full phil willis levels of evil is kind of how how you could describe it what does the report say in, in terms of how we could try and and address the issues or is that something more for the other two reports that's put out yeah the, the other two well one port is one report is about mitigations of climate change the detail will be there on a side note will people still remember gavin williamson by the time this podcast comes out oh, i hope so I mean, I'd like to forget him, and he's not in cabinet anymore, so we can forget him. I think he'll always have a special place in our hearts. Yeah. Anyone who can tell Rush to shut up and go away and confuse his Premier League footballers with his rugby stars and phone can go off in the House of Commons meeting. Come on. It's like yeah. saying, well, people remember Eddie the Eagle. Like they, They'll make a massive uplifting biopic about the incompetence of Gavin Williamson. Don't do this to me, Corey. This de- this episode is depressing enough as is. <laughs> Are you saying we should have done more to mitigate the effects of Gavin Williamson? <laughs> I'm saying governments of all varieties did not do enough to mitigate the effects of Gavin Williamson. I think that's very true. Okay, so back, back to point three. <laughs> what it does mean, though, is that COP26 still matters and that it's not all inevitable and that we, we, know, we practically know what the solutions are. What we now need to do is get enough mobilised people to pressure governments to enact those changes. So we should have done this in the 1990s, really, but it is now the stark choice in front of us. Mm. So when the politicians meet in Glasgow very soon, that they know what the evidence is. They don't need to read any more reports. They can see it in front of their eyes. They can see what's happening in all in other parts of the world. And now that the consensus is changing, you know, 10 years ago, climate change deniers would just say, oh, you know, 10 years ago, it was actually colder. And then in 10 years' time, it'll be colder again. It's just all a fad. Like, there's no real link. Now those people are trying to delay action to avert the climate crisis. 
So, you know, as time goes by, the science has got through eventually. So those people who were saying, oh, technology will save us, that's a step forward in the political change of ideas. So we know technology can play its part. How will it play its part? What are the measures that it will be? And how will we reshape society and move money away from those fossil fuel lobbyists who are still very powerful and still acting? Corey showed us an article before we recorded about how fossil fuel companies are suing governments across the world because of climate change policies enacted by various governments. That fight is going to continue. Shell has, uh, it has basically been um, nicely sued, but has been found in breach of law in the Netherlands about their climate history and basically exacerbating the climate crisis and has to legally cut down its emissions. Otherwise, it, has, it is committing a crime. Ecocide, whilst doesn't have a guarantee, doesn't really have a, shall we say, accepted definition. Ecocide is a real thing that is now has a legal precedent. So what this all means is that there is, we've talked about how everything's awful on fire or frozen, but there is hope because politicians are now taking it seriously because they can see it in front of their, so in front of their eyes quite a lot, but I'll say it once more. Politicians now know that there is a growing consensus that action needs to happen. What COP needs to do is to decide what action that is. So, for example, um, if you're in Costa Rica and your rainforests are at threat, are we going to give reparations to Costa Rica? Are we going to give Brazil money to stop chopping down the rainforest? These uh, countries who didn't industrialise with coal they may want to industrialise with coal to meet those same life expectancies levels, to reach that same levels of uh, wealth generation that the UK, that America did back in the 1800s. How are we going to have an export solution for everybody where those that want to industrialise to meet the same goals that we had in the 1900s, how are they going to be economically compensated? Will it require economic compensation? Will it require shared knowledge? These, these are the questions that we're going to have to have an answer at COP for. And whilst I, I don't have, I, 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 as a long-term campaigner, I don't have much faith in governments to, to make these agreements. They are now facing starker choices. So their, their hand is being forced more so than the Kyoto Protocol back in the day. I think when we last talked about COP26 uh, on the podcast two or three weeks ago, we talked about the, the diplomatic effort or the, I suppose, the rather lacklustre diplomatic effort that Boris Johnson and Alex Sharma have been making, I suppose. And obviously that diplomacy has gone really well this week, given we've managed to presumably have a, a massive row with France. Um, and probably annoy China as well. So quite how, how that means that countries will come together, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, to, 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 I don't say this very often, but to be fair to the government, the French situation is their own, is the French being the French. Um, they've, they've basically spent ages saying, oh, we want to be strategically independent and then get annoyed when 
they're not included on things because they said they wanted to be strategically independent. Um, the China situation is uh, re- response to the to that defense pact is a much more interesting thing yet. And there's and and it goes to show just how exactly how complicated this situation is because things that aren't related to to climate change are going to impact the response to it and international affairs and foreign policy is in many ways one of the most complicated and difficult areas to uh, uh, to operate and work within at the best of times but i'm i'm and when it's when it's a literally potentially a life or death situation uh, as well it becomes even trickier as to how you need to operate but don't worry Boris Johnson's on the case. What do you think personally, Shaz? If we're looking, because as you say, it's a massive intractable issue of social justice that you've got essentially con- countries who are able to industrialise first are now telling other countries they're not able to. Would you almost be, do you think it's a, a, a question of money? If, if, if it's kind of, if Keynes is right and that whatever we can do, we can afford, is it just a sense of we have to set up a massive global fund to essentially pay Brazil not to destroy the Amazon and pay Costa Rica to not use coal. Is that what? As, you- as somebody who subscribes to modern monetary theory, I would say yes, but I, I, I wouldn't. I'm not an economist, so I, I, I do feel there has to be some rebalancing. So if you are in a country that, say, for example, Nigeria, that has, is incredibly unequal, massively relies on oil and has real, real extreme levels of poverty. It's really difficult. So even if you wanted to have an export solution, does that government want to work in that way? Like the, the, the wealth of that country in, in lots of instances is so dependent on oil that they, don't, they might not want to stop using oil. They may not want to stop exporting oil. There has to be a solution that's put in good faith that can work for most nations. Now, then it's up to individual nations to say, well, we will stop using coal if you, I get, as, as I'm not a diplomat in this, but like, yeah, we'll be using coal, but actually, we're, we have, we're a very sunny country in the Mediterranean. Uh, we could massively ramp up solar investment and we're by the sea. So we could ra- radically ramp up wind. Like we're by the sea. We, we could radically ramp up wind here. Uh, wind could be not all of our generation, but it could be majority. Uh, <laughs> so you're going to have to have excellent solutions that are difficult to find. So uh, one of the problems you have is that if we say, oh, we'll cut our emissions, oh, well, that's China. What, what, they're just going to build more coal stations and they're going to, and you can't stop China. So we need to get the real big, the biggest emitters are like America per person and China. And unless they're willing to give up, and it's not necessarily economically, but unless they, it, it's, it's a hard pill to take when people say to you, Oh, what about China? But they are right, though. Like, like ultimately, like we we can, you know, be a net. We could reduce our emissions to zero tomorrow, but we'd still face the effects because China's still losing the same way. So, 
how are you going to how are we going to uh, encourage or demand that the biggest polluters the biggest uh, carbon emitters who are funding so for example with the china example china produces lots of cheap goods for everybody else are we going to say to china we don't want your cheap goods anymore i don't think we are but that those cheap goods fund the chinese economy therefore they build more power stations to build these cheap goods that we love how, how are we going to actively end those relationships so that they're, they're more positive so on the flip side of that china produces a lot of, of solar panels maybe china could uh, have a could continue that relationship without producing the cheap goods that require lots of coal power it's hard isn't it like the it's a very complicated situation and we don't we know what we shouldn't do and can't do but we don't know what we can do yes i think on the on, on the chinese thing i think i think i'm right in saying that actually in many ways wages in china are increasing so it's not necessarily that they're producing a lot of cheap goods now actually it's more if you've got that then emerging middle class what they are wanting to do is eat more meat drive more cars it, it's that extra level of industrialization and co2 use as well um yeah it, it, that's called the middle income trap it's, it's an economics term where the people where peoples of a population um don't want to be cheap labor anymore and want better rights and nicer meat meals is this a nice fifth and final layer of ex- existential despair that we can send our listeners off on a on a high yeah the, the, those people in china who want that nice steak we can give them burgers made of insects instead we can all eat insect burgers how's that sound well there was an interesting have i not told you about it there's an interesting documentary on netflix about insect food i'm all in favor like i'm, I'm mostly vegan but i'd eat an insect burger it's it's a separate episode actually if we're going to talk about it um but it 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 starts off weirdly and then ends very very badly but that spoilers um if you want to pay us not to burn coal you could pay us to talk about politics couldn't you steve you could in in indeed, Corey. That one seems like a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Segways go, uh, but yeah, you could head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, uh, where for but a few pounds every month you can uh, fling it our way. It all goes towards running the podcast and uh, us uh, keeping this show on the road. Uh, where you and if you do that, you will gain access to unique episodes. Episodes coming out early. Um, unique content of all kind of different varieties. If you go to the Sorry. top level of Patreon, Corey will change his electricity supplier from a coal-based electricity supplier <laughs> to a renewable energy-based energy supplier. There we go. That works. Keeping a show um, on the road, unlike my anchoring of this episode, which is finished. <laughs> so all the energy companies are going bust next week, so there'll be no energy for anybody. I did, yeah, I did see that and thought we should What's talk this? about it. What's this? I've not come across this one. No. I mean, do you want to do, no. uh, uh, do, you want to do like a short five, ten minutes on that then? Yeah, why not? Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Uh, Dave Depper composed our theme tune. 
James Cram designs our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. My <laughs> sorry, I've got the giggles now. My Twitter handle is at Rioter Steve. <laughs> Mine's at Acoustic Radical. And I'm at Shaz Robin 30. Happy plotting. <laughs> <laughs>